Hey everybody, Scott here from the Gen X Playback Show. So are you ready for part two of our TV theme song episode? I hope you are. How'd you do in the first part? So you had 30 songs to choose from or to guess correctly. We only have 20 in this one, but you'll, I think you'll do pretty well. If you did well in the first part, you'll do well in the second part. It's great to reminisce about some of the TV shows that we watched in the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And you can't deny that there were some great TV shows that were on television at that time. So hopefully you uh, do well in the second part of Name That Tune, our TV theme song quiz. And if you're keeping track, hope you score well. So enjoy this episode, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, song number 31 I don't think anybody can argue that this is by far the most popular or most successful TV theme song of all time, but this is a no-brainer right here. Certainly the most successful. Mm -hmm. This song hit, actually hit number one on the charts. Yeah, and that, of course, you know, we're doing the Miami Vice theme, which... We could almost have as our theme intro for for our podcast because it's so synonymous with Gen X and with the '80s. Absolutely, name a Gen X person that doesn't know this song. Now, can you name the, who composed it? Jan Hammer. Very good. You know what I remember about Jan Hammer when he was had a band with Neil Sean. Yes, it, it was. Now, I actually saw, went back and watched the video for this Miami what? Vice theme. Uh, okay. You want to talk about you want to talk about taking a step down memory lane. Jan Hammer is actually pretending that he's a cop. <laughs> really? He has a pistol. Okay. He's running around with and he's got he's got the sleeves up like Don Johnson did, Sonny yeah. Crockett. Is he is he playing the guitar at any point? Of course. At, yeah. at one point, you know, he's looking he's playing the keyboard and he's looking at the screen. But the guitar where he had, it's strapped I, on him because I that was kind of his thing there for a while is he would play the stand the guitar. Right. Which was for those of you who don't remember, a guitar keyboard. That you would actually, you know, take it like a, a guitar strap, strap it around your shoulder, and that allowed the performer to kind of like move around like he was playing the guitar. But Miami Vice, the show itself, was was really groundbreaking. And we, we had said about Knight Rider being groundbreaking because for the first time you could hear popular songs. Now they weren't being sung by the actual artist. Miami Vice, that was different. This was the, I mean, I could be wrong, but this, I think this was the first show that actually took the songs themselves and put them directly on television. So the, the president of NBC at the time was a, a gentleman by the name of Brandon Tartikoff. And Brandon Tartikoff was trying to come up with ways to, to reinvigorate NBC. And so he went to one of the, uh, one of somebody who was responsible for creating TV shows. And in a very famous moment that they, that's been talked about is he writes down on a cocktail napkin and he just turns it over to the other person. And all it says is MTV cops. So they wanted to <clears throat> capitalize on the popularity of MTV. Right. And, and turn it into a cop show because as we have discussed here, many of these theme songs are cop-related or crime-related shows. So he wanted to kind of hit that niche, but then he also wanted to capitalize on the popularity of MTV. So I did not know that story that you just told, but my thoughts on Miami Vice was it was MTV as a television show. Correct. And so by putting the music in, the actual songs, 
they NBC really capitalized on the MTV rage that was going on. And and the show's producers and directors a lot of performers that were big on MTV were making appearances. They they were actors on the show. I remember Don uh, or um Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry, sure. Uh Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Sheena Easton was Ted, was Ted, Nugent, Ted play, Nugent was on there. So in many of these people were that were making their acting debuts on the show but I think it kind of it kind of kept a younger younger interest in it because I've never seen Phil Collins act I'm going to stay and watch him on Miami Vice but Miami Vice in its first uh, couple of seasons was was a very well written show it sort of kind of went off in the direction that many shows do because it's like well, what do you what do you continue to write about or how can you keep the show hitting hitting popular numbers um, but the first couple of seasons it was a pretty dark show and and there was there was a pretty great storyline in the fact that uh, Tubbs, who played Sonny's um, partner mm-hmm. in, on the show, the very the very beginning he wasn't who he said he was. He was the brother. The brother got killed, so he assumed his identity so he could infiltrate and get this arrest of uh, of the bad guy in in episode number one in the pilot episode. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, it's not not something that uh, they would later do in in future episodes, but. Uh, for for us it was for me it was must watch tv when it when it debuted it it was one of the most influential shows of the 1980s for pop culture because you had the music influence the you know the Miami Vice soundtrack was was humongous uh you know i remember when we were playing soccer and we would have to sit on the bus before we we were allowed to get out for playoff games and the bus driver would always play the Miami Vice soundtrack and I got to the point where I hated the Miami Vice soundtrack because that was the only, I think it was the only tape that the driver had. Yeah, there, there aren't too many television moments that I remember that had background music being played to it. But I think the one scene is when it's being played in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Yeah. It's being played on Miami Vice. And Sonny is just driving in the middle of the night on a dark highway. And that is, it's just him driving with the top down on his car and the songs playing to me, that's one of the scenes that I, you know, I'll never forget. And rarely on television, do you remember individual scenes like that for, for specific TV shows? And also the, the look of the show. I mean, the, the way we dressed was directly influenced by Miami vice. The, you know, the, the, the Sunday Crockett stubble, became a staple because of Miami Vice. It, it definitely was a show that uh, I think is very important to Gen X. I mean, we should probably dedicate an episode just to Miami Vice because it, it had this incredible run where even me and my friends, who weren't watching a lot of regular network television at the time, we would get together, watch the show, and then we would head out you know, for the night. Yep. All right, that was song number 31. Song number 32 is one of... My favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, I know Sean enjoyed this show as well. I don't think he's going to have a hard time. Let it play out a little bit. I mean, okay. Yeah, I know this one, but once again, this is this is up there with one of my all-timers. I can almost see Mike Saber walking out to the screen right now. It'd be growing pains, of course. Yes, the, the uh, I, I almost like a, a direct uh, answer to NBC coming out with Family Ties. 
we get growing pains. But what a what a well done, well written show. Funny, but also something that you know had some good storylines to it. It did, yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned Mike Seaver, played by Kirk Cameron. Yeah, and it, he was one of what eventually became four children. But for the main run of the show, it was the the, the three older kids, mm-hmm. and um, so it was pretty typical, uh, you know, kids back and forth. It wasn't necessarily centered on the parents although i think that's how the show sort of started but a lot of a lot of tv sitcoms start out that way where the main focus is on on the parents and then as the kids sort of become the breakout stars that's what happened with family ties it is where it um um you know alan thick who who played jason you know the jason siever the the father it was a vehicle for him Mm -hmm. you know he was somebody that for years uh, the networks were trying to make into a star. He was he was from Canada, kind of a, a big deal, but he wasn't able to break through here. And this was yet another show that they, they put together to see if it could work. And it did, but then Kirk Cameron came in as Mike Seaver and really became the star of the show. Yeah, and just so many... Uh, one of my favorite characters on the show was Ben, especially when Ben was younger. Yeah, because you were kind of the same age, roughly, as Ben. And Ben just had this kind of like me, had this amazing ability to get in trouble. And it was like somehow trouble seemed to find me as a kid. And I'm sure many, many Gen Xers who are listening could probably say the same thing. But I don't know. It's like I could be standing next to a light bulb and the bulb would break and it would would become my fault or I somehow did something wrong. But that's kind of what... Oh, my brother's trying to sell some innocent story right no, now. No, 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 no. 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 I'm just, just, just like Ben. He Ben was involved in what, what he did. When, when he went off and he blew his entire wad of cash on, uh, on coffee. coffee and pie. Coffee and pie. So he couldn't gamble at playing pinball like the plan was. Um, it, it's an actual episode, folks. You got to go back and watch that one. One yeah. of the great ones. It, you know, he, he played a part of it. I, I like kind of the, the extra characters on the show. Uh, I, I love the Friends. I love Mike's friend Boner. Boner uh, that Boner was was one of the the greatest television sidemen ever. Yeah, it just this the, the lovable idiot best friend. Well, you had Boner and you had Eddie. Yeah, Eddie was kind of the smart one, and many of us had friends where you kind of had the uh, you had the not so smart friend, and then you had the smart friend that always got you into trouble. Yeah, and Eddie always seemed to be able to get uh, Mike into trouble. When uh, whenever they would go on, what was Ben's out. friend's name? Stinky. Yeah, it was Stinky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had Boner and Stinky. <laughs> so something was going on in Long Island, which is where the show was supposedly <laughs> yeah. set. All right. So the Growing Pains was saw, was uh, TV show number thirty two. Now TV show number thirty three. Yeah, we'll see if Sean gets this one. All right. So I'm going to take a guess, and this is. Totally a guess. Now, we're in the 80s, right? Yes. So it's kind of big. It's kind of dramatic. To me, it's trying to sell a lifestyle. Like, something I want to aspire to. So this is either one of two shows. It's either Dynasty or Falcon Crest. And I'm going to go with Falcon Crest. Ooh, Dynasty. Dynasty, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I, I thought about in- including Falcon Crest, but I thought when I listened to the two... I thought Falcon Crest was a little way more obscure okay. than Dynasty. I thought I'd, I'd See, I thought that's why you would go with the obscure one. No, I, I didn't want to do that because okay. I think more Gen Xers 
remember the show Dynasty versus right. that remembering uh, Falcon Crest. I didn't. I didn't want to get too hard. Okay. So um, see, I, I outthought myself on that one. But that's the we, Carringtons, right? We yes, Blake Carrington. We talked about. Um, didn't you know, really watch the show. No, I didn't either. But I think a lot of women. They set a lot of fashion trends for a lot of women in the 1980s. And they, it was an Aaron Spelling uh, mm-hmm. TV show, and Aaron Spelling really was one of those guys. And we talked about it, sort of had his finger on the pulse of what was going on at that time. So he wasn't necessarily doing a retrospective or maybe, but it was, it was people wanted to watch a lifestyle that they dreamed of. Sure. And that's what the Carringtons were. They represented uh, something that th- they were the top one percenters. So yeah. So Linda Evans, I, I don't remember what her name was on the show. She was like Blake's wife. Yes. Right. And then of course um, Joan Collins. Yes, she was his ex-wife. Yes. Well, I'd uh, said, I said I have for those of you who want let's just say the character names. I don't know who they were. <laughs> I, I don't remember, but I remember well, like the the Joan Collins played Alexis Carrington. Okay. All right. Sure. Right. I remember that name. And uh, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but what I do remember about the show were those stinking shoulder pads that the women wore. I mean, they, they looked like they could uh, put a helmet on and go out and suit up for a, for an NFL football game. Those shoulder pads got to be a little outrageous. It was the style. It was the style, and they kind of helped create that style sure. for, for other women because after they wore them on the show, I guess that's what was going on in Europe at the time. Next thing you know, all these American women, are, are they, they've got shoulder pads in their in their jackets, so... Um, yeah, more is more at that particular time for, for women getting dressed. It seemed like, uh, women kept putting on layer after layer after layer of clothing Mm -hmm. and, and shoulder pads was definitely one of them. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a moment of, of where you kind of aspire and dream of what life could be. Uh, but also if I remember correctly, because I may have seen one episode or so, but it was, also showing that these people don't have their acts together, that they have they have a lot of issues that are going on, on that while they may have a, a bit of wealth, they don't have perfect lives. Correct. All right. So that was number 33. And let's go ahead and go into TV theme number 34. I don't honestly don't know if you watch the show. This is one of my favorite shows in the late 80s. Streaks on the China never mattered before. Okay. I think I know this one. Okay. I think this is Mr. Belvedere. That is correct. Mr. Belvedere. Very good. I, I didn't really watch the show okay. that often. I I mean, I remember kind of the premise was, you know, Don Euchre. Bob Euchre. Oh, Bob Euchre, the, uh, the, the, the baseball, former baseball player and uh, the broadcaster. Uh, he was he was the main the main guy. He was kind of... The dad. He was the dad. And why did they have Mr. Belvedere as a housekeeper? I mean, he... They weren't like a wealthy family, were they? They weren't. He was. He worked for a TV station uh, as a sportscaster. He was a retired athlete. And the reason that they wanted to hire a uh, housekeeper is the mom wanted to go back to school. And she wanted to go back to school full time. Okay. And they had, a, they had a household to take care of. So they had three three children. And Mr. Belvedere came in to, uh, to help. So uh, they brought in a British uh, housekeeper. Uh, a butler and evidently he was a big deal because i guess he used to work for the queen of england and bob buker was able to in pittsburgh pennsylvania <laughs> was able to get that i you know i to me it was kind of like the same premise right of like growing pains right you know mm-hmm. was an older brother uh you know you know uh, middle daughter and, and younger wesley 
Wesley was which one? He was the youngest. He was the youngest. He was yes. kind of the wisecracking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Wesley always, again, seemed to, to get into trouble. Uh, this was another show where I kind of had a crush. I was going to say, a, I remember the daughter being pretty cute. Yeah. Uh, between um, Growing Pains yeah. with Carol Seaver yeah. uh, and Mr. Belvedere. Uh, you know, I, I definitely um, definitely watched it. Was it like it. Tracy Welds or something like that? or I think you're right. Yeah. Very good. Sure. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah, I, 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 I know nothing show. about the show other than the cute middle daughter. Okay, there you go. Yeah. All right, so uh, TV show number... 35 well uh, definitely another one by uh what is it mike, mike post mike post this sounds like doogie hauser this is doogie hauser md love doogie hauser neil patrick harris yeah as a uh, boy genius who passes his you know medical exams and becomes a full-fledged doctor his dad's a doctor and uh, it's him going to work and and it be basically being a kid in an adult world what is his buddy's name it was well the 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 actor's name was Max Casella. Who was the character? It was oh what was his name? Vinny. Vinny. Yeah. It was Vinny. Okay. Yeah. Was it Vinny Del Grosso or something I, like that? I don't I know. Think, I think so. But you you would have watched the show a lot more than what yeah, I did. I, I definitely I definitely watched Doogie Howser and it was believe it or not this was actually this shows how long I've been together with Amy. This is actually one of the first shows we watched together as uh, boyfriend girlfriend. So when this it, is when you're still in high school. I had just graduated. Okay. So this would have been the fall of 1989 is when the show debuted. So for for the uh, Gen Xers in the 80s, this barely made it under the wire. But that was Doogie Howser, number 35. Number 36, again, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. So you're not going to chronological order here. I'm not. I'm so not. You're, you're going to Night Court. Yes. Which... Is a, a spinoff of Cheers, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Harry Anderson. It. He was so good on Cheers that they gave him his own show. Right, right. Although it wasn't as the same character. Right, it wasn't. But so, it was he. He kind of was the same. I mean, he was the Harry Anderson person, you know, kind of right. doing like the the magic a little bit and with the, with the jokes and. Yeah, this was a long running show. You know, where he is the judge in a he's a, a night judge. Uh, there in it's New York, right? Yep, New York City, and it's night court, so it's going <clears throat> on at night. So it's a second shift court. Mm-hmm. And they bring all these people in, and there's two people. They're public. There's a public prosecutor who's Dan Fielding, played by John Larroquette, and then there's a public defender, his Marky Post, his Marky Post, and then I don't know her character's name was, <laughs> um, but then they also had the uh, uh, the other support staff there. They, they had, had the, Bull. They had Bull the bailiff. Yeah, and um, Mac. Who was the um, who was the the guy who kind of got all the documents together and mm-hmm. what? So it was it was a great it was a great cast, um, great cast show and uh, just funny. It was just one of those funny shit because the great thing about having a, a sitcom like that is you could bring any different kind of character in to appear in court mm-hmm. and there's you're not going to lack in material. So you're always going to get it's how these people react to all these the, these wacky people that come in off the street. And then, you know, you, you tie in the, but it was, it was a great ensemble cast show and, and it was one of my favorites, especially in the eighties. Okay. You know, once again, it's, it's kind of in that era in the eighties where my, my viewing is, is limited on network television. I mean, I would watch things. I was aware of things this was a show that was popular Mm -hmm. and people would talk about, but it's something that I wouldn't schedule my time around if I happened to be at home with nothing else to do. And there wasn't a... 
you know, a Phillies game on, I, I might watch it. I think it benefited from the night that it was on because it was part of that Cosby show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, yeah. Hill Street Blues, which then ended up becoming L.A. Law. Yeah. That that night, I think it was Tuesday nights. Okay. Would have been the, the night that, uh, so it, it really benefited from a great time slot. Right. And um, I don't know if I would have watched it otherwise, but I did. And it was one of my, one of my favorite sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number 37. Okay, I, I think I know this one. Okay. So this is, uh, I, I think we're dealing with a similar Mr. Belvedere situation, right? Where we kind of have someone come to live with the family. Maybe. That may be taking care of it, and it may be a show called Who's the Boss? Very good. Tony Danza. Yeah. Tony Danza and Who's the Boss? This was his... Kind of his own show, uh, you know. If you remember the show Taxi, he was one of the characters on an ensemble show. Uh, great show, uh, Taxi, because there's so many people that that came out of it. Um, this was really his first show that was solely made for him. It was his vehicle. Uh, Judith Light played um, the uh, the female character on the mm-hmm. show, and of course, there's the kids, and then then the mom Mona. Who mm-hmm. uh, who was the the mom in Soap or played one of the sisters on the TV show? So so it, it brought in people that you knew, you were familiar with, and um, obviously when the show came out, I was probably about maybe fourteen or fifteen, and uh, I was drawn to the show once again by one of the the uh, the female characters on the show, that being Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it was a show I, I I watched throughout its entire run, and I I, I enjoyed it. I was a fan of the show. Tony played an ex-baseball player who wasn't, who was good, but he wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, and his career came over or came to an end. Uh, their mom or his wife had passed away. So he needed to do something. Uh, so he decided to pick up and move out of New York city and he ended up moving up to Connecticut and taking this job as a housekeeper. So it's kind of the, the, the trials and the, and the laughs of having this kind of this big, strong, tough guy being the, the cook and the, and the cleaner, you know, the house cleaner for, a woman who's a very successful business person. Yeah, wasn't she like a corporate executive? She was, and she ended up, I think her name was Angela Bauer, and she ended up uh, starting her own uh, marketing company called the Bauer Agency or something okay. like that. So it was, uh, again, um, there was enough of uh, of people that were brought into the show to kind of give it some some depth and some, some humor. You could do a little bit more on the storyline, but... Um, for the most part, this was Tony Danza's show, and and I think it stayed his show throughout the entire run, it right? Did. I mean, yeah. it because we talked about some of the other shows where the kids took over, and while Alyssa Milano became a pretty, pretty well known actress out because of this show, mm-hmm. the you know Tony Danza always remained the focal point, and it, you know, kind of the relationship between. Um, uh, I forget what, what did you say it was Angela right mm-hmm. yeah so you know Tony and Angela you know you kind of like you had mentioned in Moonlighting there was always like this little tension going on and they drug that out for a long time they did they, but, they they didn't give into the temptation of of having the romance blossom too early right and and obviously by the time they ended up getting together which they did and the show lasted another season or two and they they kind of gracefully bowed that one out I don't think they planned on on having it run forever 
but I think the show ended it at the right time. They didn't try and push it any further than what it than what it was destined to do. So didn't he become a school teacher? He did. He ended up going to going to college. Right. And part of it is yes, he he ends up becoming a school teacher at the very end. So it's it it's it's kind of nice with shows where I think they're smart when they give characters a bit of an arc. You know, they they allow them to grow. You know, I said about that with Roseanne. You don't stay doing the same jokes and the same material. It's easy to do, but I think when you do that, you end up with a two three year run. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you allow the characters to change, like we do in real life, you can you can have longevity and. I wasn't really watching the show at the end, but I, I do remember that Tony definitely came from being this, you know, this jock to at, at the end where he was going to college and then becoming eventually becoming a teacher. All right. So that was number 37. Now here is number 38. And it, I'm pretty confident Sean will get this one. I think everybody who's listening will absolutely get this one. <laughs> What are the few songs? Well, it's not the 90s. It started in the 80s, right? It did. Yeah. Because I thought this would be one of the few songs in the 90s that I would get, and that would be Full House. Full House. Yep. Who? What Gen Xer didn't love this show? I'd be surprised. Um, And the funny thing is, it's about as stereotypical a sitcom as you could possibly put together, but yet it somehow managed... To work, I think it was the characters. I think it, it was the actors that that who could have predicted that when you cast little kids, you know these little girls, that they were going to become such good actresses yeah. and, and and be able to take the show into, you know, when they become teenagers, they can actually have, have parts, you know, and and stories that revolve around teenagers because they actually could handle the roles. Yeah, I, I think you almost have to go back to the Brady Bunch to see a show that kind of morphed from being almost exclusively the parents to almost exclusively the kids by the end of the run. It, now, granted, uh, John Stamos, who played mm-hmm. Uncle, uh, Uncle Jesse, yeah. uh, you know, he was still a very much upfront and central figure to the show. But I, I think at that point, Candace Cameron, mm-hmm. Kirk Cameron's sister from Growing Pains, but I think Candace sort of kind of went to the forefront and she was more or less the, the driving force of the show there by the very end, um, not to mention... You know the other the other two sisters. Well, and also the Olsen twins, right? I mean, Michelle, uh, Michelle Tanner. Yeah, and so and Stephanie. And what, I mean, they're cast as little babies. Yes. I mean, who who would have thought that they would have gone on to be able to handle parts? Uh, you know, and they became you know incredibly big stars. Yep. All right. So Full House, everybody knows that that particular one. That was number thirty eight. Number thirty nine. I will give Sean a hearty handshake if he can guess this one. This was a top 10 show. I totally know the song. Okay. Oh, 
All right, I'm, I'm going to need some clues. Okay. Um, ABC. Okay. Um, this show was created for somebody from a part that he did in a movie, but this character on this TV show was not the character that he did in the movie. But he had such an impact in the movie itself that television executives decided to write a character for him in TV. Is this a comedy? It's a comedy. All right. You ready to shake my hand? Okay. Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. It's Balky. That's right. Balky and it's based, it's based upon his role in Beverly Hills Cop. That's very good. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. So that's that's 100% uh, correct. I didn't know if you would get that one. I never watched the show. Balky Bartokamus and his cousin Larry. Uh, other, uh, other than I knew you liked it, and I think I would walk in occasionally, and you'd be watching it. I watched it. it, yeah. And I mean, I've, that's that's how I would see. I, it's a show I don't think I ever turned on, you know, changed the channel to. But you had it on enough where I think I just picked it up. This this was a show that was created by Jeff Franklin, who also created Full House. He was the guy, the driving force behind the TGIF. Uh, lineup that ABC did, and, and it was you know shows would come in and out. Family Matters, Step by Step, uh, you you kind of get that genre. And Perfect Strangers was one of the first that Jeff Franklin actually created. So he, by the end, he was he was kind of like the big deal producer for ABC when uh, when he did. But this was one of the first, and this did this was a top ten show at first. So you know my my mental image of the show is I don't really remember an episode, but I remember the intro. Okay. And kind of like the little snippets, the little cuts that they would put in there, like uh-huh. uh, which was very typical of, at least then, I think they probably still do it now with sitcoms. You know, they show the little funny scenes. All right. So that was number 39. And I figure we, we kind of turned the click into the number 40. So we're heading down the, the top 10 here, our final 10. So now we're, we're into the 80s. Now we're kind of bridging into the 90s. And Sean said he was going to struggle. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you will not struggle with uh, with song number forty. Yeah, wait. When you said you're going to do this and this episode, and we had TV shows of the nineties, I was hoping you would pick Seinfeld as one of them because I actually did watch Seinfeld. Yes. Um, and is it the best sitcom of all time, in your opinion? Oh, uh, the best sitcom. Ah, uh, boy. Made you consider The Office a sitcom? Um, no, but I, I would put it in that same kind of kind of genre. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's right up there. I mean, it, it it's it, it's in the discussion. Okay. You know, you know, if you're if you're going to do sitcoms, so like I said, Family Ties is is you know arguably my favorite show ever. I don't know. I mean, I would say it's a sitcom. So you know, for me, I would pick that. But I think that more people would probably pick Seinfeld. Okay. Yeah, um, it, it certainly is on everybody's short list. As like far Cheers as is something that, I, I mean, is, to yeah. me, maybe it's because of when I watched it. I, I, I In reruns, you know, while I watched, I watched Seinfeld when it was on. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked it, tried not to miss an episode. I, it's something, it's a little more dated, I think. It's very much, it, it because the, the way the, the stories were, a show about nothing. Okay. It to me, it definitely speaks about the '90s. So I can I can tell you that uh, Seinfeld was a part of our oldest first childbirth when we were waiting for Amy to go into labor, and she actually uh, Gavin was born on uh, after nine o'clock. Okay, on a Thursday night, 
in uh, November of 1994. So Seinfeld was on the TV uh, in the delivery room. Uh, she may not be happy for me to share that information. <laughs> and you pause and say, hold on a second. Let, let, let me see what Kramer does. Yeah. So um, I, I think in a way, maybe she doesn't, uh, she didn't have the fondness for the show. I think she kind of always resented that. The fact <laughs> okay. that I had it on TV when, when, um, uh, but it was funny because she was the one that actually got me watching the show Okay, because of George's parents. George's parents reminded us of her grandparents that lived up in Boston. The way they would yell at each yes. other? And that's all because her grandparents- Frank Costanza. They went by the, uh, her grandparents went by the names of, uh, well, she called them Poppy and Herbie. Poppy was the grandma. Herbie was the grandfather. And the way that they would always, the way that they interacted was much like Frank and Estelle Costanza. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what got me watching the show. But obviously, the Costanzas didn't have a ton to do with the show itself. But it was, it was kind of a nice tie-in or draw-in to get me watching the show, and I never, never stopped. So the, uh, I remember a question that we would ask uh, each other back in the day was, or, or, who do you like more, Jerry or Kramer? Oh, I definitely, I was more of a Jerry fan. See, I was a Kramer fan. See, maybe maybe back in the day, I might have thought that Kramer was funnier, but now, especially if I go back and watch episodes now, um, you know, Jerry is, uh, Jerry, I, I think, is the essence of the show, just his sar sarcasm and his humor. It, you know, you could have cr replaced Kramer with different types of characters. I don't know I that think. you could have replaced any of those characters. But there was, it was so, the chemistry between the four. I mean, George and Elaine and Kramer and Jerry, the the friendship yet incredibly selfishness about all of them, and that was kind of like the final episode was talked about, you know, their, their, their self-centeredness. They had this like little, little bond, this, this tribe as we're, we talk about here with Gen X Playback, you know, we're starting a community. They had their own little little tight-knit group that they were sarcastic and and would rip on everybody else and they uh, but they they kind of stayed together I, I think one of my favorite episodes was when um you know because part of the character of jerry was the fact that he always found something wrong with the girls that he dated so <laughs> of he course dated he did. many 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 different women over time and he finally came across janine garofalo who played him only in female form. Mm -hmm. She even had the initials JG or JS. It was, uh, it was, it was JS. And she's like making these observations about cereal and how she could eat cereal at every meal. And, and Jerry's like, I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that in the Kenny Rogers chicken or Kenny, yeah, yeah, Kenny Rogers chicken one. episode. Uh, there's just, there's just so many when, when well, Kramer recreates the Merv Griffin set in his apartment. Well, yeah. And, and also, you know, why I, I, I say about, you know, who did you like more Kramer or Jerry? Not, not the, not the actor, but like the character. And you talk about the, the, uh, the Kenny Rogers chicken. Well, because when Kramer and Jerry switch apartments, they switch personalities and they switch personalities. <laughs> and I thought Jerry was hilarious Jerry as Kramer. Was great as Kr Kramer. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it was it was the light was making him crazy. He turned him into Kramer. <laughs> His hair is all fluffed up. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, I think, in my opinion, it, it for me, it's my favorite sitcom of all it, time. It, I mean, it's it, that's where you know, kind of like where we do our list, and I'll sometimes sit down and go back and forth with things. You know, uh, the, as we're sitting here and we're actually discussing it, it's it's going up. It it's. Without a doubt, it's top five to start with, and it, it could be number one. Okay. All right, so that was number 40. So let's go to number 41. Or Number 41 is another easy one. Mm -hmm. Let this one play out a little bit. 
Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called, called Bel Air Yeah, it's Fresh Prince of Bel Air yep. Will Smith uh, premise, obviously, if you're Gen X or you know, you, you pretty much know the fresh, fresh Prince of Bel Air. Uh, but Will Smith plays uh, a kid from Philly who his mom wants to make a better life for him, so she sends him to live out in uh, Bel Air outside of Los Angeles with uh, her sister and, and her sister's family. And they're very successful and very wealthy, so there's quite a culture shock between the uh, between the two families. And uh, but uh, Really, Will Smith became a superstar from from this show. Everybody knew him as the Fresh Prince, the rapper, the musician. Mm-hmm. And Quincy Jones was the producer for the Fresh Prince TV show. And he had to really convince Will Smith to take on the project. Uh, what ultimately caused Will Smith to take on the project was the fact that Will was spending his rap money faster than he was bringing it in at that point. And he kind of needed to make some money. So that's why he ultimately decided to take the show and turn out to be, you, know, you could argue, and uh, obviously he's a mega millionaire through movies, but right. uh, at, at that point, he was kind of the face of NBC. Uh, it was certainly the most popular show for a number of years. Right. He probably took the mantle from, from Bill Cosby, uh, you know, as far as being the, the focal point of the network. They, uh, as you say, you know, if you're Gen Xer, you know the Fresh Prince. It's... It, it's an all-timer. The, you know, still Carlton is one of my favorite characters ever. Alfonso Ribeiro. Loved Carlton. You can still see every week on America's Funniest Home Videos. He does a great job on that show. But the moment Carlton walked into the room, I was ready to laugh. He really, uh, and, and we knew him from before as a kid. Yeah, because he was, Silver Spoons. he was on the show Silver Spoons. And before that, he, he was made in the, the Pepsi commercial as being a Michael Jackson impersonator as a little kid in the in the Pepsi TV commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of knew him, but this was really a chance for him to sort of become his own breakout character. And, you know, I said Will Smith being the face of the network, Seinfeld was the most popular show, but I think Will Smith might have been the most popular actor on the network at that particular time. Because uh, even though uh, Seinfeld was was number one and you know continued to be that way for a number of years, Fresh Prince wasn't far behind, and it was uh, Will had one of those personalities that just you know jumped out of the screen at you. And he is, I think, he's my age. I, yeah, he I, is. So you know it. You know when he's doing this show, it's it was it was it still in the eighties or was it early nineties that that he was able? I think it was early nineties. That it came out. It debuted, I believe it was 1991. Okay. So it was, it was right about that time. So he's, you know, he's 22, 23 years old, very relatable to his age group. You know, the Gen Xers were able to probably relate more and la- will latch on and like the Will personality or character because he's, he's talking about high school and, you know, going, you know, even though he's much older, they kind of portray him as being younger. The, and, you know, Jerry... Seinfeld's and, and their group, they're older than what we are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're already living the professional lives in New York where we're still in that high school, college age where we're more, uh, you know, a character like Will and even, um, you know, the, well, the other characters on the show are going to be more relatable to us. Right. Okay. So that was song number 41, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, I don't know if you watched this show. Uh, I will admit right now at this point with uh, number 42... I was a fan. 
Okay. You think so, you got it? Well, I don't think I got. I don't think I have it. Okay. It, it, but I'm thinking of you and what you were into, and it definitely, based on that theme, there's some crime fighting going on. You would think so, but no. <laughs> okay, then I have no clue. It, g- give me a couple hints to see if I can come um, up with it. The first TV show for Fox to go number one. From Fox? Okay. And it, it did not involve any crime fighting. So it's not 21 Jump Street. It's it's from Fox to go number one. The show debuted in 1990. Oh, this would be uh, Beverly Hills 901. There you go. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> I obviously never watched the show. I, you, I didn't watch it. You know what? what, I, what I saw the commercials. What's funny What's funny to me is there's actually a, a kind of a funny episode from Seinfeld where Jerry won't admit to his girlfriend that he watches Melrose Place. Okay. I was doing the same thing with 90210. <laughs> People would talk about 90210, even as in, you know, the show ran. I think till 1998. So at that point I was married. I had two children, but yet Amy and I still every single week. And you probably did not know this Mm -hmm. every single week we sat there and watched it. And it just always reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where, where Jerry just goes, Oh, that Michael, when they show us uh, credits on the, uh, on, on TV, because they all got together. They just didn't tell anybody that they got together, him and George, and they would all sit down and watch Melrose place. Okay, so I don't even know who was Michael. Oh, Michael from Melrose Place. Yeah. He was one of the Melrose Place was. I a remember spin-off. the show. Yeah, it was a spinoff of Nine Hundred Two One Zero. It was <clears> supposed <throat> to hit an older demographic of viewer. Yeah, it was they instead of them being it was in probably school, people my age. They were uh, young adults. They were out on their own. Yeah. So Michael and his wife uh, Josie Bissett, I think, was the was the actress. <laughs> I have no idea what but you're talking about. They were they were a married couple. They were the, I think they were the only married couple that lived in this apartment complex called was, Melrose. Well, Heather Locklear went on that show at some point, right? She came on after about season. Didn't three she or manage four. the the apartment complex? Or maybe I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't watch Melrose Place, but I, I could tell you anything you need to know about Beverly Hills. <laughs> okay, nine hundred two and so so who were the characters i mean and rem- oh, there was brandon right it was brandon and brenda they were they were, they were bro- uh, twins they were twins okay and what, what was who, brenda what was her name brenda walsh no, it was, no, oh the um, actress yeah that was uh shannon doherty yeah okay yeah sure shannon doherty who acted for many years before 90210 she was probably i would say the most recognizable of all the actors yeah. on the show when so it first i knew came i knew who she was so the the premise of the show. What was the name of the pretty boy with the sideburns? Luke Perry. Yeah, he yeah. was. He played uh, Dylan. That's, Dylan. Okay. Dylan McKay. Right. And then, well, of course, you know, Brandon had sideburns himself because mm-hmm. they were. Uh, and and the Simpsons did a nice little spoof on on that where they uh, were doing a red carpet ceremony and uh, Kent Brockman was introducing one of the hit characters from Springfield Nine Hundred Two and Zero, and. Uh, it had the guy getting out and he has this very young face and all of a sudden he smiles <laughs> and then his face just turns into one giant wrinkle yeah so that was because uh, they were all much older they right? were much older yeah but I, they're I, playing teenagers it was it was funny because um the girl who played andrea zuckerman uh in real was life she the smart one she was the she was the brainy one okay she actually in real life i think was 35 playing a <laughs> playing a you know a junior in high school okay so she's playing somebody half her age Ian Ziering, who played uh, Steve, um, what was it, Steve Saunders? He was, I think, just about thirty. The only the only actor who was age appropriate for the show at the time was Brian Austin Green, who um, 
Uh, he he was he was the only guy who would have been of teenage. So age. even Tori Spelling and and Jenny Garth. Tori's my age, so when the okay. show came out, she would have been eighteen or nineteen, and then um, Jenny Garth was the same age, and Jason Priest. Je- Tori. Oh, Jason Priestley. So he was Brandon. Jason Priestley okay. was Brandon. Yep, and Luke. I'm, Perry. I'm not kidding, folks. I I, I didn't watch the show. Okay. Yeah. So um, the the premise of how Didn't the show they, got they had started. some place like they hung out right like the Peach Pit Peach or something? Pit yeah, yeah all right so you all know right. more about the show well, than you. it's it was part of pop culture yeah it was and then it actually had it sort of had many different characters come in and out to the show but it had, that was the core group okay and uh, even um, from Say by the Bell uh, she she played uh, uh, Kelly Kapowski. Mm. she had a had a couple year run on that show where I, she played I a bad remember girl. that hearing about that. So, uh, but 90210 ran for about eight seasons. And uh, yes, I did not miss a week. Okay. I watched, watched every single stinking. Well, episode. if you watched, um, you know, like football or so, or you're, you're watching Fox, you, you weren't going to miss a commercial for it. So, yeah. you know, I was very aware of who these people were. Okay. So Beverly Hills 902 song, theme song number 42. How about song number 43? See, now we're in the 90s. This is Mike Post. So when you think Mike Post, you think what? You think crime. I, 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 I need a hint. ABC. All right, so I'm going to guess. Was it NYPD Blue? That is correct. Okay. NYPD Blue, and I, I kind of selected it. Be, not I did watch the, NYPD Blue for yes. the theme song, okay. but it was when I, it came out. It was a very controversial show. Yeah, with Sipowitz, Dennis Franz as, as Sipowitz, Andy Sipowitz. Yeah, and the it was the first network TV show. The concept behind it was the fact that the network TV shows were losing viewers because they weren't able to have cursing. They weren't able to have nudity. They Mm -hmm. weren't able to, there were these parameters that were set by the standards and practices of the world that they weren't allowed to, uh, you know, they couldn't go past a certain line and NYPD blue because of its 10 o'clock time slot was able to get some stuff pushed. So for the first time on network television, you're now seeing uh, Dennis France's rear end. Yeah. I remember Uh, that. Yeah. That's an image I have a hard time getting rid of. But it, for the first time, you're seeing those things on TV. And I don't think the show needed it because it was a good show. I enjoyed uh, NYPD Blue. I thought it was a good cop show. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was always a big fan of like Law and & Order and, and you know cop shows like that. I thought it was a good show. Yeah, even, no, no even, I, I liked it. Even when, uh, uh, when Jimmy Smits, I think, came on a little mm-hmm. bit later because um, David Caruso was the first. Uh, he was the ma- first main character. He was. And then he ended up leaving... Uh, to, to do movies and he didn't do very well. He ended up going back to television to do CSI. And, um, but then Jimmy Smith's came in. I think that would, might've been the heyday of NYPD blue is when Jimmy Smith's character came in. Uh, but it was a well-written show. I, I enjoyed it. And again, it was an, an ensemble cast of characters that you, you could have different storylines going on with different people. And as you said before, with some of these other shows, it, it proved that, even though they're cops, they're they're human, and they make they're, they're not necessarily perfect people. Right. The the show wasn't based upon just solving the crime. I mean, sure, that might have been part of it, but also it 
you you got to see, as I said, with some of these other shows, what was going on behind the scenes, and it made them very human and very relatable. And the the key to any of a, a show like that is just good storytelling. And I think NYPD Blue had a nice run. It sure did. Um, even you know, we used the Save by the Bell reference with Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. Uh, Zach Zach ends up going on the ends show. up at the show, and he was very good. I actually I actually thought his character was was great as a kind of a straight straight uh straight narrow cop mm -hmm. I, thought, I thought he did a nice job with it uh i was a fan of nypd blue and there's uh song number 43 so how about theme song number 44 on our list Okay, I think I know the song. Are we in the 80s? 90s. This is the 90s. This show debuted in 94. In 94? All right. It had a long, I mean a long TV run. Was it ER? Correct. It was ER. Uh, started in 1994, ran for I think 13 or 14 seasons. Okay. And it was one of those shows that the show became the star. Mm -hmm. You had so many people coming in and out. Uh, <clears throat> to me, the most memorable cast is the original cast, which included a very now famous George Clooney, sure. who at the time wasn't very well known. I think he his only other acting gig that people may have recognized him on was Roseanne. He was also on the... Um Oh, what was the uh, the spinoff of Different Strokes with the uh, Mrs. Garrett? Oh, the Facts of Life. Yeah, he was like the handyman on Facts of Life in like the very last season when Mrs. Garrett had left the show. Okay, yeah, that, I, yeah, that would have been around the, right before Roseanne was. Like, started, I mean, yeah. just at the very end, and then he went from that because he has the really long hair. Yes, and then he's Roseanne. He kind of still has the long hair. He's he like manages the uh, the factory where mm -hmm. he's Roseanne the shift, shift manager. Yeah, and. Then he then he went for kind of the George Clooney cut that everybody knows now, where he's got you know the very short hair, and it was kind of a dramatic change. Yeah, he his career was made on ER, and it was I think to me uh, the show was created by a producer by the name of Michael Crichton, who is known for writing these uh, novels, and this was kind of his first move into television, and what he wanted to do was create something that was of high intensity which i think he did the first i'll never forget the first episode of er jumped out at me because it was such an adrenaline rush for anybody watching it, it where you had like these it, it kind of they suckered you into like these dead spots where they're just kind of standing around the er and then all of a sudden boom you had this bus accident and you got 30 people who okay. are mangled coming in and and just all the chaos that that is involved with it um, but not only that, you, you, as aside from the ER itself, you got to know each individual character. And so you got to see, like I said, you got to see what made them good as doctors, but you also got to see their personal side and every one of them had some type of flaw mm -hmm. where they were, uh, with, uh, with George Clooney's character where he was Doug, doc, you know, uh, forget what his last name was, but he, um, he had a problem with couldn't get in, couldn't stay in a relationship, and he had problems in the past with with alcohol and drugs. Um, 
the nurse, Nurse Hathaway, she had tried to commit suicide before the show. You know, if you go back in the timeline, not when the show began, but her character was dealing part of with her backstory. That. It was part of her backstory. Anthony Edwards, who was in Revenge of the Nerds and Top mm-hmm. Gun, uh, played Dr. Mark Green. And he was, to me, he was kind of like the the stabilizing force of the of the ER itself because he was sort of in charge. And, um, but then he was also dealing with his own stuff in, in real life. So just Eric LaSalle, who was famously in, um, with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall in, uh, coming to America where he played Daryl, he played, uh, you know, he played, uh, one of the, he played the surgeon in, uh, in ER. It was, it was a great cast and, and a very well done show. Uh, something again, this was a show that, that Amy and I watched every single week when it, when it first started. Yeah, it's a show I was aware of. I I didn't really watch it that much, but I, you know, because we're doing pop culture from Gen X, it was something that you couldn't avoid. That was part of the pop culture where you're you're around the water cooler, you would hear people talk. All right, so that was number forty four. Number forty five isn't going to be a surprise to anybody. This is another theme song that hit the charts. Of course, that would be the theme song to Friends. Yeah, and it's kind of a surprise to me. Of all the TV shows that came out of the 1990s, this one seems to have the most legs to it. It it does. So much so that my kids love Friends, especially uh, Connor and his fiancée, Colleen. Okay. They could probably quote more things from from friends than I think we could, mm-hmm. uh, Amy and I, and we watched the show when it when it came out. Um, again, much like Seinfeld, it's sort of a younger version of this family of non-family members that you sort of create when you're living in a city where you you go there for a job and you're working, and so you kind of create your own little family. Sure. And that's sort of what the the, the the genesis of what Friends is. There's a brother and a sister in there, um, Ross and Monica, mm-hmm. Geller. And um, so Ross, when the show starts, he's married. His wife's expecting. But then all of a sudden, you know, his wife leaves him uh, for another woman. Mm-hmm. And so he's got to deal with that. But uh, it's a great, again, it's a great ensemble cast of characters. And the first couple of seasons... What got us watching the show and what we thought was really funny is the parents, uh, Ross and Monica's parents were pretty heavily involved in the first season. And what was funny to, to Amy was the fact that the way that the parents talked to Monica and the way that the parents talked to Ross, like Ross was on this big giant pedestal mm-hmm. and Monica was just like their big disappointment. Okay. So it, we kind of laughingly said that that was the way her, uh, her mom treated her and her brother, Colin. Uh, it was the fact that because Colin lived far away and is like Colin could do no wrong, and Amy got criticized for every little minute detail. Uh, certainly not necessarily the case anymore, but that's kind of got, what got us watching the show. And and then through that, you got to meet Chandler, you got to meet Joey. I love Joey. Uh, Joey Joey's a great character. Yeah, my favorite character. Uh, I think one of my favorite uh, it reminded me of um, your nephew, my son Nolan, where Nolan is yelling at me because I wanted to uh, share some candy that he had brought home and he was having a fit because he didn't like to share. And what's the first thing that popped into my mind was Joey doesn't share. 
is the one episode where he goes on a date and the girl wants to eat off of his plate and she's like, Joe, Joey doesn't share. Joey mm-hmm. doesn't share. That's what it reminded me of. So, um, but yeah, uh, friends is one of those shows I think moved into the next generation more so than Seinfeld. I think so. It's, it, it's something that's still in heavy rotation right now. It, you, every day, it's on TV. It's, it's in syndication. So it's another one of those shows where when they, they came up with the cast, I don't think they realized how magical it was going to be. And, you know, as it went on, you would hear stories about, you know, maybe some, some behind the, the scenes fights over some salaries because the cast figured out pretty quickly that this show is needs them to be a part of it and you know you mentioned all the characters and how you couldn't have friends without any of them Mm -hmm. and they you know fortunately kept it all together where they they found a way to make it work and everybody brought something to the show they had their own unique personality there was no one that was a lesser character of that friend group and maybe in a certain episode they might focus on one over the other but eventually they came around and they would have a storyline for each of them it's something where you know gen xers we can relate to because it was meant to be our age. And yeah. it, it, as you, you said, it's kind of people that are going off on an adventure They're you know, they're it's post college. That's it's, they're kind of going off and trying to form their careers and starting out. They, you know, um, Ross might've been married, but the rest of them weren't. And they're still looking to kind of forge their way in their twenties and there's, you know, they have roommates because they need to share the expenses because they're living in New York. And it's, it's just kind of a, a way of starting out. And I think a lot of us can look back at the exact same time when the show was on. That's what we were going through in our lives. And I, I watched a documentary where the show's creators, it was sort of loosely based on, on their group of friends that they had in New York at that time. It was that they saw them more than they saw their own families. So that was the whole basis of the show. And the one creator uh, commented at that at the very end, if you don't want to spoil the uh, show, but I'm sure people have watched it, but uh, Chandler and Monica end up getting married. And, no. And they're, what? But she said that was a good time to end. Not that when, when they started to, she couldn't have, Monica couldn't have kids, so they end up adopting. Right. But they end up buying a house that's in Brooklyn, or they end up moving away from Manhattan. She said that was a good good point to end the show because she said that much like in real life when people start to get married it's very similar to when i talked about four weddings and a funeral in our movies episode where eventually people get married and when you get married you start having kids you sort of branch away from this nuclear group right that was so important to you for many pretty much like your 20s yeah so she said that was a good time to end the show because they're, they were starting their family. It, at that point, it was going to be really hard for them to maintain this really tight knit friendship that they had mm-hmm. up to that point. So that it was kind of a, a good ending to the show. Yeah, it, you know, one of the all time classics. It, that's that's whenever you think of the '90s, you know, to me, the two shows that come to mind are going to be Seinfeld and Friends. All right, so TV theme song number forty six. I would be absolutely stunned. If you get this one, I I figured I was going to put one in there that I knew you weren't going to get. Okay. But you are going to, uh, I don't even know if you're going to remember this song, this uh, TV show at all, but it was a top 10 show. Kind of a nondescript TV theme song. Think NBC in the nineties. 
NBC in the 90s. Are we talking sitcom? Yes. Uh, mid, mid 90s, late 90s? Yeah, early to mid. Early to mid 90s. And you said NBC. Yeah, ran, Sit- ran for about four seasons, five seasons. Sitcom. Sitcom. Give me a little hint. I gave you all kinds of hints. Give me, give me, give me another hint. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, main character's father, who's a musician. Uh, is it Blossom? It is Blossom. <laughs> it is Blossom. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten it without the hint. Yeah. In no way would I have gotten well, it without I mean, the hint. Because obviously the star of the show was not the dad. Right. It was Mayim Balik who ends up going on to great fame with the Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. and is now the uh, permanent host of the TV show Jeopardy. Um, but in the beginning, uh, when the show first started, the, the show was built around her. She was the star of the sure. show. Obviously, the name of the show was her character. Mm-hmm. So her, her, her dad is a... Kind of a hippie musician, um, but he was he was the guy in soap. That's correct. Yeah, he played Danny in soap. Yeah, so he uh, but he has a family. He's got kids. Uh, I believe three children. One of which is Joey Lawrence, who mm-hmm. ends up becoming a uh, teen heartthrob. Uh, I thought Joey was funny. Yeah, because his catchphrase was "Whoa!" Everything was "Whoa!" And he he he, he was a great baseball player, mm-hmm. and he was one of those uh, dim witted, uh, but yet lovable brothers that um they you know they didn't really argue the the because the kids were more of the parents i think because the dad was kind of off the rails a little bit at times because he was a traveling professional musician so he would go on tour so the kids were left alone so they had to have a degree of maturity about them to basically take care of themselves but she had a best friend what, what was the best friend's name like it, had, it was like a weird name six six yeah her friend's name was six yeah yeah, and uh, her friend was uh, kind of an airhead. Uh, Blossom was, uh, she was a smart one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was it was a fun, it was... I watched it. It was a campy yeah, kind I, of fun show. I mean, show. not on a regular basis, but I definitely watched the show. Yeah, we, we this was one of the shows that, that we certainly watched. So, okay, yeah. All right, so that was number 46. Congratulations. Number 47, you may get this one. Um Good theme song. I like the theme song. I know the song. I mean, it sounds like something off a of fox. Correct. This jump started a lot of careers. Give me a little hint. It's centered around the family. Parents died. Okay, I did not watch the show. Was I don't know. I'm thinking Party of Eight, but that's you're close. Party of Five. Party of Five. All right. Party of Five. Yeah. The the the. The premise of the did show not watch is, it at all. Um, it's it's a uh, it's an older brother, and he has uh, a brother and a sister, 
and their parents die in some type of an accident. I don't know if it's a car crash or a okay. plane accident. I but didn't know the parents died. They are trying to keep the family, basically keep themselves together. So, so who are the big breakout stars from this? Well, Matthew Wolf was the main, was the oldest he brother. He was the oldest brother? And he ended up going on to the TV show Lost. Okay. Uh, he was the central figure in that. Nev Campbell. Oh, sure, yeah. She ended yeah. up uh, yep, yep. Uh, okay. being in many things. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. Was in uh, was but Nev the Campbell's show. the one that I remember from the show, and Scott I, Wolf was the one was the younger brother on the TV show, and he ended up uh, you know acting in many things over the years. So. Okay, um, but yeah, I, it was a show that that Amy never and saw I watched. It. Yeah, and it was part of the Fox lineup. It Only saw commercials same night as nine hundred two one zero, and it was uh, it was one of the shows that we definitely tuned in every every week. So. Uh, Theme song number 48. Um, we'll let this one build up a little bit. One of, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Uh, hit the top 10 once in its ratings, but it had a run of about seven, eight seasons. So we'll let this one build up. This was the uh, theme for the show from like seasons two through seven, I think. Definitely know it. Yeah, okay. It's Drew Carey. Drew Carey show. Very okay. good. Because it's based on the song. I mean, that's an actual song. Yes. Like Ian Hunter ha- song. The, the presidents of the United States of America did the theme song for but the original they specifically yeah. for Drew. Right. Um, but yeah, Drew Carey show, I love. I, it's just To me, it's that kind of that weird, kind of quirky humor. Um, what, were, what were the names of his two moronic buddies? It was Lewis and Oswald. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oswald was the uh, package delivery guy, and and but they ended up both working for some. Um, they did experimental things on them, so they uh, I forget the name of the company that they worked for is like some pharma company, and they would always uh, come out and it was oh yeah we did this and they would have like these major rashes or, uh, and then Kate was the love interest the the girl that they. That they uh, that he fell in love sure. with, and then of course his um, nemesis at Winford Louder was Mimi. Mm-hmm. She uh, ended up marrying his brother, his brother who was a crossdresser. Right, uh, you know Drew Carey. It was just um, Mrs. He, Cunningham was his mother. He played a, a character that was kind of loosely uh, on the cartoon Dilbert. That was sort of the look that they were going for when they when they okay. created his character, where he's this guy in. Again, sort of a dead end job. He's he's old enough where he's kind of going through the motions, but he has this very very colorful life away from work. And even even then, as the um, as the show goes on, they bring in Craig Ferguson, who becomes his uh, boss, Mister Wick. Mm, yeah, I remember and, that. And then the, between Mister Wick, Mimi, and and Drew, they end up having some pretty funny moments that happen at the uh, at the at the department store as well. So. Um, I, you know, it was, it was, it was a, for me, it was a fun show, 30 minutes of, of mm-hmm. just lots of jokes and, uh, uh Drew Carey who end who ended up now is now the host of the TV show, the price is right. And he's been doing that for quite a number of years, but, uh, for me, it'd always be the Drew Carey show that I'll remember him fondly for. Right. And there's, there's somebody else that I remember from his stand up days before he, he did the show and he would appear on the tonight show and 
another guy that would just kill every time he went on there. It, 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 you know, there's like, you know, I talked about Roseanne going on there. I remember when Ray Romano w- appeared and just thinking these people are just hilarious. And, you know, Drew Carey was definitely one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Yep. And uh, so he had, a, he had a very successful TV show. I wish it would have gotten better ratings than what it did because uh, they seemed to bounce around from different night to different night. Well, that night. oftentimes is part of the problem. Yeah. And they, they never really found its home, its niche. So it was like, oh, this season they're going to be on Friday nights. This season they're going to be on Tuesday nights. And it was just really hard to stay on, stay with the show. And, and I probably was the type of person who, um, you know, did you know, epitomized what was going on. I actually kind of liked the show, but I wouldn't necessarily seek it out. And so if I found it, I was like, oh yeah, Drew Carey, and I'd watch it. But if it, you know, it's usually when I'm just surfing through the channels. Had they been more consistent with it, I probably would have been much more of a loyal fan. But as a result, I saw a bunch of episodes, but I didn't really see them in order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, fortunately for a lot of people that were fan, a fan of the show, it did make a run in syndication, so you got to see them simultaneously sure. for, for a number of years. It hasn't been on TV in a while. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll make its way back, but I hope it does because I, I I really enjoyed really enjoyed watching the show. So that was number... 48 and now number 49 we're almost done okay we're not this would be the theme to that 70 show very good i did watch this one i love that 70 show Yeah, it was it was a great uh, that just goes to show that you need chemistry to make a show work. And because through the success of that 70s show, Fox was like, "Hey, people are really into the 70s nostalgia." And so they created the 80s show. Mm-hmm. Remember that 80s show? Never watched it. I think it lasted 2 weeks. I don't even know who was on and, it. And they pulled the plug on it. Um, it just it shows that people were into the cast. They weren't necessarily into the formula. The fact that, that they were wearing bell bottoms. Yeah, that it was set in the seventies. I think I think the TV executives got the wrong concept on that. But I mean, it uh, plays into it. It's you know we had talked about during our nineties movies and and things like The Matrix, where sure the special effects were great, but if you don't have a good story, it's not going to last. And it's centered around uh, Eric Foreman and his friends. Because mm-hmm. Eric lives with his with his parents, uh, the famous Red Foreman, my was, favorite character on the show, uh, who is this crotchety old military guy who uh, has nothing good to say to his kids and is always yelling at the other ones, calling them dumb, you know, dumbasses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, but it was it was the vehicle, the the launching platform for quite a few people. Um, that that. But the show is just so well written, and the the chemistry of the cast is what I think set it apart because they they just seemed like they were having so much fun on that show, and even like um, Fez Wilmer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the character itself was kind of a I would say a stereotypical character, but he made it work, um, and just all the characters themselves. Without that cast, the show's not successful, and that was certainly. A great casting of of that 
of that show to make it a great, what I think is one of the greater sitcoms in the early 2000s. It debuted in the late 90s, but it made its, you know, in its heyday, it was early 2000s. Yeah, it, it, I like the fact that they kind of represented what does happen in friend groups where you're friends, but you may, you bust on each other and there's, but you still keep coming back. And so they're, they're, while they are hard on each other, they're, you know, they're this loyal friend group and they're, you know, getting into all kinds of hijinks and it's it was really well done how each character kind of you know we talk about with Seinfeld um you know how you needed and friends how you needed every character and they eventually did that I think with that 70s show where they really started to develop all the characters on the show and I think you touched on what I think is a good point where just to use an example of there were there were scenes where they're punching each other. Like yeah. they're getting, and that's what getting, I was thinking of. Yeah. Literally getting into a fist fight, but yet two seconds later, they're grabbing ice cream out of the freezer and they're sitting there watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is kind of how we grew up. I remember getting in, getting into a fist fight with a kid. And then uh, at the end of the night, it's like, all right, time to go home. Oh, I don't want to go home. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you got it over with and then you moved on. So I, but that was just one, one part of the, what of the show and then of course you know the the station wagon the vista cruiser mm-hmm. that uh he got was the hand-me-down which you were the recipient of our vista cruiser i was which was the yellow station wagon and uh you know it, d- it did bring true with a lot of a lot of moments so it was a well-crafted show mm-hmm. no that was good yeah although you know it, i did think of that more as an early 2000s show but yeah i guess it still does qualify all right so that brings us to our final number 50 theme song And I'm going to let this one uh, play out a little bit. Um, But again, we're going to close it on this note because to to Sean and I, it's one of our favorite sitcoms of all time. Because I, I, from 1990 till about 1999, the end of the Gen X era, this was about as good as television got, in my opinion, for, uh, for animation and for stories and jokes and subliminal jokes and just so many great moments on this show sean you could go ahead and tell so it's it's obviously the simpsons and this is you know not only could we probably do uh, an episode on the simpsons we might have to do a series on the simpsons because it was just such an influential uh show the um you know, even even the theme song here is, um, I mean, still kind of you know iconic that they've stayed with us since since the early days with mm-hmm. with this. And when you hear the beginning of it, you know it's The Simpsons, and you can automatically see that it's Bart writing on the chalk chalkboard, and you're looking to see what's he writing about this week. Right. And it, it's it's a show that uh, you know The Simpsons. I remember watching the Tracy Ullman show mm-hmm. and they, they debuted the little shorts. You know, you talked about how the Muppets were on Saturday Night Live and kind of debuted. Well, I didn't like the Tracy Ullman show that much. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't my thing. But I love this little Simpson shorts. And a lot of a lot of the cast from Tracy Ullman ended up doing the voices right. on The Simpsons. Uh, right. In particular, Dan Castellanata, who uh, is the voice of Homer Simpson, um, you know, he played a, a very important part on the uh, Tracy Ullman show. And I'm, I'm so impressed that so many of the voices, even now we're talking 33 seasons later, they're still a part of it. And I heard Hank Azaria, 
who does so many characters, Apu, Chief Wiggum, uh, just to name a, a couple. But Hank Azaria, they asked him, uh, he was on the Howard Stern show, and Howard Stern asked him, why do you stay with the Simpsons? You know, And he said, because of the money. <laughs> uh, the fact that, he said, each episode usually takes about six hours of his time. And so he goes in, he does about six hours for each individual episode. He makes roughly $300,000 per episode. So he's getting 300 grand for six hours of work. And so that allows him the ability to branch out. And he had done the, uh, the show that was on FX where he was played the uh, sports broadcaster. So it allowed him to do other projects. Um, but just the fact that the, the, there's so many characters on the show that are so memorable to us. Sure. And they've managed to keep those storylines going. Now, unfortunately, one of our favorite voice actors in the 90s was Phil Hartman, who mm-hmm. tragically was killed, uh, which he did so many great Lionel characters. Hutz. Lionel Hutz, uh, Troy McClure. Oh, yeah, Troy McClure. Um, Duff Guy. Or, um, no, he wasn't Duff Man. Um, but he did, uh, but, but so many characters they had to replace after he died, but the rest of them, they had such a long run mm-hmm. with, uh, with all these characters and they're able to do so much, uh, principal Skinner, um, uh, some of Bart's friends that he used to hang out with Millhouse, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Homer had Barney and Moe and well, even the side characters, you have like your Jimbo Jones and, and his gang of characters, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible that the show has gone on for as long as what it has. It, I, while it's a show, I don't really pay attention to a whole lot anymore because you know it's kind of passed me by as far as what's what's happening in the the current pop culture. When that show came out, when they did their their debut episode as the Christmas special, mm-hmm. I set I marked the calendar. We taped it. Yeah, we we, we recorded absolutely it. we did. Yeah, we recorded. We it knew it was going to be good and watched it over and over again yeah. because where like you said, I think um, the Tracy Ullman show, while it was considered a critical. Uh, it was praised by critics. It wasn't watched by viewers. So the fact that these Simpsons came out with this episode and everybody's like, who are the Simpsons? We knew right away who they were. And we were, we were ready right from day one. And so it was uh, Christmas of 1989 Mm -hmm. was the very first episode. And then, Right after the Super Bowl was when they came out with in 1990 is when we saw the the, the debut season. But then you know you and I were were hooked from the from the moment it came out. It just such just such witty, funny writing that, that I, I still go back and watch some of those early episodes, and they still I, I I still laugh as hard now as what I did back then. The episode when Homer buys an RV, which yeah, is yeah. in the first season, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's great, it, and it's and it's still funny. It just it still is holds up. And the early Treehouse of Horrors where mm-hmm. they debuted on on Halloween, uh, just just I think I've made a reference last night when we all got together for Thanksgiving, and Nolan was acting up, and I said, uh, "Here's your problem: you got to set the evil," because that was from a Treehouse <laughs> yeah, of Horror right. episode. Was, yeah. It was uh, like the little crusty doll was set to evil. Was trying to kill Homer. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. But anyway, that was. Uh, and there was, isn't a Valentine's Day uh, where cards aren't handed out where I don't chew, chew, choose <laughs> <laughs> or think of that card. So that's going to put a wrap on our on our episode on TV theme songs. I thought this went pretty well. We may actually have to do this again with some other with some no. other theme songs. That's the great thing about Gen X and the decades that we watch tv and it's there's there's a lot more to choose from than what i just chose we just did 50 
So there are, you know, and some of the the ones that I thought you were going to put out there did not make it. And so, I mean, it shows that I know that you liked that. I, I thought I was going to get, I thought I was going to get the theme to Married with Children. You know, I, I, I intentionally left some out because while I did put a bunch of them in there that I knew you were going to recognize immediately, yeah. um, you know, I, I wanted to, obviously, Gen Xers, there was a broad range of popular TV shows. So I wanted to try and hit as many as I could. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, uh, you know, if you played along at home, hopefully you enjoyed and and you you scored as well as Sean did on on this quiz. Yeah. So I actually did a little bit better than what I thought I would because you know my I definitely didn't watch shows. You know, you found out from listening to me talk about like Beverly Hills nine hundred one two. I I did not watch that whole block of television during that time so i'm actually kind of pleased that it did as well as i did all right so next time next episode is uh, up to you so what are you going to preview and what are you going to talk about for next, next so episode? you know we kind of did uh music here with television and i, I want to go back to some music and and i want to go back to a bit of a list so this is kind of a takeoff on something our sister Lori said to me and she had a suggestion she said oh you get you got to give some love basically to the to you know, female rockers is what is what she threw out there, and I thought about it. And I said, kind of, but I want to do a little twist with it. So my and I, we're going to come up with and, and do a list, and we'll do top ten, and you can do some honorable mentions, but it's going to be ladies that rocked. Okay. So it doesn't have to be peop- uh, women that were rock stars, but you could have thought that they rocked. So it could be, you know, if. If you really thought Bette Midler rocked as a singer back in the day, you, all right, that's, you know, because she had the career that spanned it from the 70s through the 90s. Mm, that's true. That, she could be on your list. If if you say, you know, I I, I really loved the cover girls from back in the, you know, the late 80s, the, the dance band, the cover girls, that, that could be on your list. There's no, and I'm not going to set, you know, parameters saying it's got to be in one decade or the other. So anyone that, that, that could have had a one song, or they could have had, have had a long career. Well, when you're talking about uh, you know ladies that rocked, we can't go wrong, which is a cover girl song. Yeah. which I own by the way. Oh, is that right? Yes. So yeah, it, I yeah. I didn't know that you owned the yeah. cover girls. So yeah. I I I, I kind of like the cover girls back in the day. There I thought that was good danceable music. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, so or to our listeners, get your list together. Think of, of women that. You know, this they, they still had to sing. So, you know, we're going to have to come up with some songs. But these are going to be women that were kind of your favorites, but you would say, yeah, yeah, she rocked. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And once again, thank you so much for joining in to Gen X Playback. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we want to talk to you uh, next time. Can't wait to talk about the ladies that rocked on our next episode of Gen X Playback. So hope you hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hope you like our, our music now that is part of uh, our podcast, which you can hear on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on iHeartRadio. So tell your friends if you want to include them into our little community of people that like to reminisce about good times, which is what we do here on Gen X Playback. So we'll talk to you next time. See you.